It's a privilege to be here today and to hear the Word of God together and reflect on it. Uh, Evelyn and I are uh, grateful to be a part of your family, and uh, if we have a chance to greet later, we've, we've both had our shots and done all the things necessary. We've had to take that pretty serious in Detroit. We've, had, we've seen loved ones fall, and uh, we pray that we're on the back end of this plague. Um, before I get in today's message, I do want to comment on one of the worship hymns, Come Thou Font. It's a, it's a favorite for me. And the second verse, uh, the words have been changed a little bit because people generally uh, had no idea what it meant. So it would say, here I raise my Ebenezer. It's like, really? You know, what in the world is an Ebenezer? But um, in the book of Genesis, uh, we have uh, Jacob uh, has kind of tricked his dad into receiving the blessing and his brother is smoking mad. I don't know if you've ever encountered anything like that, but mom thought it would be a good idea for Jacob to go on vacation uh, while Esau was uh, comforting himself with the thought of what he was going to do to his brother when he caught up to him. And also, mom was uh, anxious that Jacob would find a wife. And uh, so... If you ask Jacob what was going on in his life at that moment, he'd say, well, my brother is not very happy with me, and he's a lot tougher than I am. And, uh, and my mom wants me to find Miss Wright. So he's journeying, and he, it's time to go to bed, and he uses a rock for a pillow, And he has this Jacob's Ladder experience where he sees angels ascending into heaven and descending. And he says, God was here. And I didn't know it. And he put a stone up to remember where he met God. And that was his Ebenezer. So when... hymnist says, here I raise my Ebenezer. It's like, I met God here. And there's something healthy for each one of us to think about where have we met God? And to really mark those places and remember those places. In today's reading, and what a fine reader we had of the word of God today, uh, uh, we're told that Epaphras was kind of an Ebenezer for these people who was the first person. So sometimes it's a person in your life who made Jesus come alive to you, who shared that good news to you. Sometimes it was a situation. But what we're reminded of in this is that God is always here whether we know it or not. And so I might think, oh, my health is a big deal or... or The virus is a big deal, or employment is a big deal. 
But the big deal of all big deals is the center of all things, God in the house, in the presence of Jesus. And so I want to remind you of what you already know. I can see what a good church you are, by the way. I'm happy to be counted among you for one day anyhow. Uh, you're doing some great, great things, kingdom things, beautiful things, hard things, I know. But that is what church is. And um, so you look beautiful to me. But this, uh, this idea, and there's nothing that says you only can raise one Ebenezer. You know, I would say I've had hundreds in my life where I really know I met God. I hope today becomes one for me too. Well, boy, and didn't we see him that day? Didn't we see him here? But let's get to today's text. So... Uh, we start out with Paul saying he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And my tendency for many years was, yeah, yeah, let's get past that and the grace and peace thing and find out what you want to say. But there's a lot in Paul saying, I am an apostle by the will of God. And uh, the first thing I would say is, the 11 apostles, when they had to find a, a replacement for Judas, said, so what do you have to be to be an apostle? Well, you have to have seen all of Jesus' ministry. You had to be there when he taught on the Sermon on the Mount. You, you had to see him feed 5,000 people. You had to be there when he walked on water. You had to witness him raising somebody from the dead. The, the, these are minimum requirements. You had to, to be present when he was arrested and uh, tortured and lynched and executed and risen from the dead. And Paul was none of those things. So, so they might have said, well, no offense, Paul, but you can't be an apostle. And Paul's, I did see him. I did see him. He knocked me off my high horse. He said, Saul, you're killing me. Why are you killing me? And he was energized by that uh, moment of encountering Jesus. And why is that important? Well, because some people believe that and some people didn't his whole life. And sometimes we think the only time there's been polarization is 2021, 2020. There's been struggles forever in the church, in the world, since the fall. Peter and Paul had to work real hard on learning to love each other. And they did work real hard, and they did learn to love each other but it wasn't automatic. So why is that important to you and me? Well, as a faith community, there's people perhaps that you connect with immediately. There's others, mm, mm, not so much, not so much. And, uh, and we serve a God who says, work it out. Just work it out. I'm not going to do it for you. And uh, I'm calling you to this. I'm calling you 
to be in this family. So when Paul says, I'm an apostle by the will of God, he's kind of continuing the argument. I am by God. I did meet Jesus. And at, at, at one point, Paul says, I worked harder than all of you too. And, uh, and that's in scripture, so I would think it's true. But uh, all that to say that uh, what a privilege it is to be called by Jesus, but it doesn't necessarily make everything easy. Then he says, uh, grace and peace be to you from God our Father. And my tendency was, yeah, yeah, hello to you too. What, what, what do you want to say? And the reason he said that, I didn't have enough appreciation for how polarized Paul's culture was between Jew and Gentile and these other kinds of things. So there would be a tendency, if you, if you were going to speak, I forgot your name, Ron. So if Ron was going to speak, I want to know where Ron's coming from before I hear him. Because if, you know, if he voted the way I voted last November or something, then I'm going to relax. But uh, if he didn't, uh, I might not be able to hear him. And so Paul is saying, this is not about this. This is not about that. Grace and peace be to you. From our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever else you may be about anything else, lay it down. Hear the word of the Lord. Grace and peace. And there is no other agenda but the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not that there isn't freedom to live out those other things, but uh, a faith community is not a club where we're all the same. And actually, it's the great intention of Jesus that a faith community is like a wagon wheel with Jesus at the hub, the center of all things. Somebody should have thought of that for a title. Uh, And that as you get closer to Jesus, you get closer to one another as well. So in Jesus calling the 12, uh, one of them was Simon the Zealot. And so a zealot believed that uh, the true faith was with the Jewish people, these Roman occupiers need to be thrown down, and by God, we will. Matthew, or Levi, is called also, he's a Jew who is working for the Roman government to collect taxes from fellow Jews for Rome. And Jesus calls these two to be apostles, uh, to serve him. And maybe when he sends them out two by two, he sends those two out together. So there's something about Jesus as the center of all things that is really holistic and all-encompassing. My my dear friend and twin brother Harold Spooner is going to preach uh, for you next week and uh, give him my greeting. Uh, we've, we've tandem taught together. It's a great privilege. And he has the sweet spot in, in this Colossians 1 chapter. But we're told that everything is from Jesus, 
everything goes to Jesus. Uh, everything was created by Jesus. Everything and everyone is created for him. So the shortest answer to what is your life for, what is it all about, what is my life all about, the shortest answer is him. You and I have been created for God's pleasure. He had something in mind when he thought of creating you. And at the end of our days, each one of us is going to give an account to him for what we did with the life we rented uh, while we had it here. And uh, life is a one-way street. None of us are moving towards our birth. And so um, we're invited to think deeply about these things and to think about them often. But let's get back to the text. See what he really wanted to say. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for some of his people. Amen? <laughs> Amen? That's scary. You're saying no. Why? Why no? I couldn't hear you. Why is that not? A right answer. Okay. Okay. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to love some and not love some. Uh, think of the irony. I'm coming back to Paul introducing himself. Paul hated Christians. Hated them with passion, and now he's invited to go to Colossae and love everybody there. Doesn't the Lord have a sense of humor? Who do you hate? God is going to send you to the land of cheeseheads. Uh, it's a, uh, and sometimes I wonder which is worse, to hate somebody or not give a rip about them one way or the other. I think with the story of Jonah, where the Lord wants to send Jonah to Nineveh and he goes the other way to Tarsus, I think he just didn't like Ninevites. And he didn't want to see him get saved. He didn't, he he really wanted a box seat to watch God spank him. But, uh, and that was in his heart. So, uh, if we are Jesus followers, and Jesus is the center of all things, part of our prayer and our examine is to say, who don't I care about? And who would I like to see get it? And, uh, and I, I, I think over the years, you know, there was, a, you know, there's been conflicts with race. There's been conflicts with uh, 
Anti-Semitism, one of Hitler's quotes is, we have to get rid of the Christ killers. And uh, when you make a people group somehow subhuman, you know, somebody with different politics, somebody with different views, and, and, and we tag names, and then we don't have to want good for them. We uh, don't have to love them. But we never learn any of that from Jesus. And uh, one, of, one of my revelations this month was uh, to discover there's a Hebrew word for righteousness that's also the word for justice. And uh, in church, it's usually translated righteousness. But that's a word that's generally not used in the community. But you'll see the whole community screaming for justice. And we'll wonder whether or not that's a gospel issue. One of my uh, great friends, Al Cresta, told me this 30 years ago, and I never forgot it. He said, with every key moral issue or justice issue, God gives the church the right of first refusal. But if the church doesn't pick it up, he's going to get it done anyhow without the church. And we might say, that can't be from God. It's not being led by church people or believers. Uh, makes me think of the Pharisees telling Jesus, have these people stop praising you? He says, well, if they did, the rocks would start praising. The rocks would do it. So there have been movements in the world and movements in our country that have not been led by people of faith that should have been. And God will have justice in the world uh, with us or without us, but it was always his intention that we would lead. And if we won't lead, please follow. But uh, anyhow, this call is to love all all God's people. The faith you have in Christ Jesus, the love you have for all his people, the faith and love that spring up from hope, the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard from Epaphras. I'm going to move down to this prayer in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. I want to say what a beautiful thing wisdom and understanding is. Knowledge is wonderful. To me, wisdom is more precious. Knowledge is knowing things. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what you know. And understanding is being able to see other people with a merciful eye. Uh, one of the great uh, Jesus songs in our area, this woman sings, Amazing grace will always be my song of praise, for it was grace that bought my liberty I'll never know just how he came to love me so. He looked beyond my sin and he saw my need. And uh, 
Lots of times the religious mentality, once they see the sin, they can't see anything else. Stop right there. Jesus sees all sin. But praise the Lord, he looks beyond the sin and he sees our need. He sees our suffering. He sees our lostness. That's why he's saying to the religious leaders with stones in their hand, you without sin throw the first stone. But I'm in a series reading the Gospel of Mark, and you know the religious people are so angry with Jesus by the third chapter that he's in the synagogue and he says, "Uh, I have a question. Should we do good on the Sabbath or evil? And it says, nobody would answer him a word. That's how tense it had gotten. And uh, nobody dreamed that Messiah would come and he would immediately create access for all kinds of people. It's one of the reasons I was so impressed by some of the mission ministry you guys are doing, which is wonderful. But when Jesus healed Uh, Peter's mother-in-law. It says the whole town came out. It wasn't a church meeting. It was a community meeting. And Jesus stayed up until the last person's need was met. So much so by the next chapter, tradesmen are tearing a roof off somebody's home to drop their friend in front of Jesus. That also was not a church meeting. That was just in the community And and the religious leaders are like, what? What? But Jesus cares about access, that everybody can have access to him. Uh, So he prays that uh, we would have wisdom and understanding. Uh, It's amazing to me. So Jesus is sinless, and he prays all the time, all the time. It, for him, it's like getting on the Internet with his father. And, uh, and he does it a lot. And prayer is never for him obligation. It's always invitation. That every day he can tell his father how he's feeling, what's going on what his concerns are, what his hopes are, what his gratitude is, and that he can hear back. You know, part of what we believe about Jesus is that when he became human, he emptied himself of a lot of privilege. He wasn't just like Superman, opening up Big J, you know. He was was like you and me. He didn't want to just look human. He wanted to be, that was his favorite name for himself, the son of man. You know, the term son of God is used less than 10 times or 11 times in the gospels. The term son of man is like used 70. And, and Jesus really revels in the fact that he's really a human being. He's really one of us. So, Think about this. Jesus is going to live this life here as one of us, uh, stripped of a lot of his 
writes as God, but prayer, he works, works it, because any of us could work it if we chose to. But uh, the mystery is why we don't pray more. You know, uh, Jesus would go off to pray by himself, and he'd be tired and, and worn out, and the disciples would see it. And he'd come back from that quiet time, and they could see he was energized. And they said, teach us to pray. They, it may just be a small nuance, but they didn't say teach us how to pray. They didn't need to be taught how to pray. They needed to be taught to pray. I think every one of us here know how to pray. But that I, doesn't mean I pray. And uh, I, I remember when I was coaching a little league team because I wanted my son to have a little league. And uh, it, it became much harder than I thought it was going to be. These 14-year-old boys whistling at girls, and Evelyn and I both had bands, and we're driving the whole team. I'm like, God, this is way harder than I signed up for. <laughs> and I felt like the Spirit said, well, you need to pray for these boys. And I said, well, I do. And so I don't mean now I lay me down to sleep first. You need to pray for these boys. So for about a month, I'd get on my bicycle, and I'd drive toward the first boy's house and pray for him until I got there. And then I'd start praying for the second boy until I got to his house. And then the next. And, and it just helped me. It mostly changed me. Prayer will, the person that will change the most when you pray is you. And uh, the other thing about wisdom and understanding, as a follower of Jesus, one of the great gifts of God is the ability to say to yourself, what if I'm wrong? Uh, Evelyn would say, I'm sometimes mistaken, but never in doubt. <laughs> and, uh, and, it, there's, uh, there's truth to that somewhat. So I was at a midwinter conference, and they were selling Bibles. They were selling these immersed Bible studies. And I had a knee-jerk reaction. I said, you know what? I got 25 Bibles in my office, but none of those are any good because I got to buy your Bible. And this is just a ploy to sell more Bibles. So then I went to North Park where Jordan was, Jordan is such a great friend, great man. I'm so happy he's here. Uh, and they sent me one of these Bibles in the mail. I'm like, oh, waste of time, waste of money. And I, I went to bed that night, and it was just like, what if you're wrong? Huh? And the next day, one of the women came to church. I said, would you do me a favor? Would you take this Bible home? Tell me what you think of it. She came back a few days later. I said, so what do you think? She says, I think it's great. I said, would you co-host a new Bible study with me using this thing? She goes, I'd love to. Well, twice as many people signed up as we expected, and half of them weren't our people or church people or believers, and everybody loved it, and I was just, what? What? Wrong. 
wrong. And then people said, well, that's a daytime study. We want a nighttime study. And it's a beautiful thing to allow the spirit of Jesus to help you to have some wisdom and understanding and to self-correct, you know. And it's a beautiful thing to be teachable. Sometimes the person who's going to be teachable is somebody you, it's a person with skin on. You know, I remember years ago, one of the elders of our church had some concerns about some things I was doing and not doing. And he asked me out to lunch and he laid out his concerns. And I'm like, thanks, Harry. And I walked away and said, ah, oh, that's Harry. And about a year later, my life was all messed up. And it's like, well, God, you know, you could have told me. And he was like, well, how about that lunch with Harry? And I realized if everything Harry said was relevant to what I needed to hear, but I, I blew by it. And uh, I had to write Harry a letter and thank him for all the good advice he gave me that I didn't take. You know, and learn from it and learn that God may want to speak to me through anybody. I think we're running out of time. Am I right, Pastor? So they said I could go as long as I wanted, as long as I was willing to lock up. <laughs> but let's leave it there. It's a privilege. I want to invite you to hear the invitation to spend time with him who is the center of all things. Not because you should, but because you may. He it says he has qualified us for this encounter. So God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And Jesus is calling. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are beautiful. You are God all by yourself. Help us to welcome you afresh, to raise an Ebenezer, Help us to meet you afresh in this space and time where we are, to increase our love for you, love for our neighbor. Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.